Every year around the world, millions of people are leaving their homes to seek security and a better life. While this is a difficult decision for any individual, migration has also a wider impact at the global scale. It affects societies economically, socially, culturally, and not the least, politically. This podcast investigates the consequences of migration for the Eurasian development. The series of talks leads up to our online Alexandri conference organized in October. My name is Katalin Mikroshi. Welcome aboard. My first guest is Dr. Karen Aitamorto, who works at the University of Helsinki at the Alexandri Institute which is an internationally acknowledged center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian area studies. Dr. Aita Morto is a scholar of religion. She studied nationalism and migration. But I'm particularly interested in Karina's special expertise in Islam and Muslim communities in Russia. I want to find out more about the link between religion and migration. an expert in the study of religion. So first, could you tell us more about your current research? Well, actually, I kind of have uh, several research projects, but all of them are linked uh, in one way or another to the topic of the governance of Islam in Russia. So uh, in this, I understand governance uh, very widely. So it includes, for example, the discursive governance of Islam. I mean, public discussions about, for example, what is good Islam, what is bad Islam, uh, how it should be governed or should it be governed, uh, what kind of uh, Islamic activity should be promoted and and what kind of uh, less so. Uh, But uh, in addition to that, uh, I mean, this analysis of discussions about Islam legislation, I mean, mean, different kind of organizations, um, I have some other minor projects as well, like, for example, uh, we had with my colleagues Annalisa Heusala and Rustamurin Boyev a project about uh, Central Asian migrants working in Moscow. And Islam was also one of the topics in, in this uh, research project. Um, and actually, uh, we gathered some very rich material in our fieldwork in Moscow back in 2017. And even though there uh, are some publications Actually, quite a lot of that material has not yet been, in a way, used, or we are still in the process of of publishing the findings from that project. Thank you. That is really, really interesting. So you have indeed a wide and complex experience analyzing various religious communities, the coexistence of them, and also uh, these communities' interaction with power holders. Now. When we look at the European Union, we increasingly encounter arguments stating that Muslim migrants and Islam by and large are threats to our societies. Now, how is this in Russia? Well, of course, there are similarities, but but also some major differences. And uh, perhaps the biggest of these is that, uh, first of all, uh, Islam is considered as one of the so-called traditional religions in Russia, so it has very uh, recognized position in Russian society. 
And indeed, this idea that different confessions of faith groups, uh, religions have had a long history of coexistence in Russia is very strong in Russia and it, it guides the discussion. And in many ways, it, it's justified. Uh, I mean, Russia has been an empire. In Soviet Union, there were many ethnic and religious minorities. So it is a part of, of the kind of national identity. And uh, in, in Tsarist regime, for example, these uh, religious minorities uh, were taken into account. And actually, the Tsarist regime used these religious elites in, in the, when they, they, they were governing these minorities. And in this sense, uh, Muslims and Islam are not regarded as necessarily always as the religion of migrants, something new as it is often in Western Europe. However, this, uh, I would like to say, myth about peaceful coexistence of religions uh, is also something that uh, covers problems and uh, power inequalities, hierarchies and oppression and so on. So first of all, this idea that there are some ethnic and religious minorities uh, that even today guides the discussion so much, kind of essentializes and homogenizes these religious minorities. It also uh, doesn't really take into account this hybridity of identities and changes. Also, even the conceptualization of four traditional religions reveals that it excludes many religious traditions and indeed creates that kind of power hierarchies. And this idea that um, Unlike in Western Europe, where Islam is conceived as, as something new, connected to migration, often as a, seen as a social problem. Uh, in Russia, it's a part of uh, our history, our, our society. Uh, this kind of lip service to this, this kind of religious tolerance actually often covers uh, some problems. And for example, it's quite common in Russia, I have really often uh, heard the statement that in Russia there is no Islamophobia like there is in Europe. And of course, that's that's completely <laughs> untrue. You can see uh, Islamophobia in, on the political level, in media, in everyday life and so on. So in that sense, this myth about uh, history kind of allows to or prevents the uh, addressing some, some serious problems. Uh, but of course, this idea that perhaps uh, Islam or Muslims uh, or especially Islam is incompatible with our way of life or something like that, has also uh, been heard in Russia. And uh, even in some uh, elections or political uh, debates, this migrantophobia has often been as formed as a kind of very central role in these uh, discussions. But rhetorical move, how this is done, is first of all to divide this so-called good Islam and then bad Islam uh, or Islam from foreign countries or foreign Islam and our native uh, moderate Islam. So with that kind of distinctions, uh, actually quite a lot of different kind of ways of being a Muslim or uh, Islamic traditions or uh, ways of life can be excluded and discriminated. Thank you. This is this is really interesting. I would like to, to follow up this about xenophobia and our, our problematic attitudes towards uh, especially Muslim migrants. Now, when we look at the European stage, it seems that migration crisis back in 2015 was really a game changer for the European Union. It transformed the political language, uh, European unity started to erode. Um, Ever since 2015, we have new tendencies of rising nationalism, conservatism, populism. 
We strengthen border controls to hinder migration. Now, all these new developments took place in Europe that still holds high democratic values. How about Russia? How is transnational migration assessed in a country like Putinist Russia, for example? And what have been the consequences for especially Muslim communities and Muslim migration uh, in that sense? Well, first of all, uh, the position of uh, Islamic organization is, is in some extent uh, more difficult than in Western Europe, even though it seems that they hold a very respected uh, role in Russian society, because uh, they have to balance uh, between the ordinary believers and their needs and their, their interests, but at the same time with the authorities and the political power, so that they uh, they are considered to represent this kind of good Islam and what is what the authorities uh, like to promote. Um, so in that sense, they have to be more sensitive towards the authorities than, than necessarily Islamic organizations in the West, although of course they are similar problems and challenges and, and positions. So this is one thing. Uh, and for example, uh, when the Muslim community uh, comments on various events, global events, or uh, for example, social problems in Russian society, they are often, especially the mo most prominent ones who hold this respected uh, position, uh, they are quite careful not to lose that position in the eyes of the power elite. The other thing is that uh, of course, as has been noted, for example, this, in social media discussion, there are uh, different kind of uh, quarters and, and uh, even states that aim to guide it. But in Russia, the state-controlled media, of course, uh, has a very central role in uh, having an impact on the public discussions. And here, actually, it's, it's quite intriguing that uh, the so-called migration question was very high on the agenda and the discussions in the Moscow's mayoral elections in 2013, and then these alarmist portrayals of Muslim migrants coming to Russia and uh, transforming the cities and, and so on. Muslim migrants as a social problem, they're very, very prominent in mainstream media in these political discussions at the time. Uh, but 2014, uh, with the annexation of Crimea and then the subsequent war in Ukraine, actually the new kind of new uh, enemy and the new biggest threat in Russian society were, were the Ukraine and Western <laughs> powers. So, so suddenly this this whole this discourse changed, or at least the kind of uh, main point of reference. So, uh, in that sense, the discussions in Russia has a little bit different logic than in, in the Western Europe. Thank you. Uh, I would like to to move on to a very closely interlinked topic. We relate so often to migration as self-evidently a kind of transnational phenomenon. But when we look at Russia, the vast land of Russia, what kind of role domestic migration plays in Russia and how religion is added to this role? So what is the domestic migration and what kind of drivers are behind this domestic migration and is there a religion is is, is religion playing a role in it uh, well uh, 
after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the uh, differences in living standards, in uh, wages, in employment, they, they, they became really wide, uh, of course, between Russia and some previous Soviet states, especially in Central Asia, but al also within Russia. And if you look at uh, different regions, and especially the difference between uh, such big cities like, for example, Moscow, St. Petersburg, and some prosperous uh, areas and on the other hand uh, less uh, prosperous areas and countryside it's 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 huge difference it's it's uh, like looking at some of the richest countries in europe and on the other hand some very uh, developing countries uh, in some other continents so certainly there has been much uh, internal domestic migration um, and particularly in for example northern caucasus uh, and uh, in addition to these economic reasons, there are these conflicts and uh, and in general, the, the kind of uh, societal and political situation. Uh, in addition, of course, in, uh, for example, in Chechnya, there are demographic reasons that uh, there simply uh, isn't enough labor for the growing population and so on. Uh, certainly, uh, you can see some reason for uh, religion as a driving factor, like, for example, actually, uh, some sexu sexual and gender minorities uh, uh, often try to emigrate from the Northern Caucasus because of the persecution. But I would say anyway that that's a minor, that, that has a minor role. Uh, whereas in the perception of migrants in these, uh, these areas, like, for example, in uh, Moscow and Petersburg, then again, this religion play, again plays a role in this discrimination. Though, of course, ethnicity and religion, it's, it's very difficult to uh, distinguish the, these from each other, especially when we analyze uh, discrimination and racism. But uh, the borderline between domestic and, and uh, migration and transnational migration, it's, it's a bit complicated in Russia because uh, indeed, uh, occasionally, these migrants from, for, for example, Northern Caucasus are perceived as migrants in, in, for example, Moscow, even though, of course, they are citizens of the Russian Federation. Uh, but at the same time, migrants from Central Asia, um, an intriguing thing that we discovered is that especially the older migrants who used, grew up in Soviet Union, they never, nevertheless see the country as, in a way like their own. I mean, uh, their forefathers fight in the Soviet army. The children for, from Western Soviet Union were uh, taken to Uzbekistan to find shelter. And many Uzbeks are quite proud that during the war, the, the Russian children that were sent there, uh, they were taken into families, not to the orphanage, but there was that kind of hospitality. Um, so in that sense, the case of Russia also shows the kind of fluidity of these uh, transnational uh, borders and uh, in a way that maybe also challenges this kind of methodological nationalism. Thank you. My final question is uh, regarding to the forthcoming Alexander conference at the University of Helsinki. And the conference is dealing with global migration in Eurasia. Now you are co-leading the committee organizing this conference. What would you like us to remember about the conference topic and how would you assess the conference by and large? Well, uh, when we were writing the call for papers, uh, that actually uh, also uh, kind of helped us again to realize how multi-sided phenomena migration is, is, how it's connected to such a huge variety of issues. 
I mean, uh, cultural currents, uh, economy, legislation, uh, societal trust, all that kind of things. So, of course, we are looking for reading all these uh, different proposals and variety of uh, perspectives that people uh, look at this issue. And, of course, we are not only looking at migration as such, also the discussions about migrants and, and especially kind of critical take on these discussions, how migration is framed in different uh, approaches. Thank you, Karina, for taking the time and efforts to discuss these really, really interesting questions in our first podcast. <laughs>